Welcome to Sophos Security Chit Chat episode 179 for New Year's Eve 2014. That's the 31st of December for those of you who are still on the old calendar when New Year was in spring. Uh, my guest again this week is Mark Stockley in the absence of Chester and John. Hello, Mark. Hi. Still winter, I guess, at your end of the world. It's it's just getting frostier and frostier and colder and greyer. And it's New Year's, basically. It's what we expect. We wrote on Naked Security this week about uh, a reader who reported to us uh, an iTunes gift card fish. And it got me to thinking, you know, lots of people uh, would have got iTunes gift cards on Christmas Day, probably went online. Many of them perhaps for the first time or they haven't used their account for ages. Suddenly you get this warning about strange behavior on your account. It's kind of believable. And it raises the question, how on earth did the crooks know that? How did they know to target this guy who sent us the email with that iTunes fish? And I guess the answer to that is if you send an email to enough people, there are going to be a large number of people who did get an iTunes gift card. Yes, and it seems that's exactly what happened here. There was no particular science to it. Uh, as we've spoken about a few times before, uh, Sophos Labs in Hungary did an experiment in the middle of 2014 where they observed one infected computer, typical home computer configuration, sending five and a half million spams in a week because they didn't actually let the emails go out. Um, but that was the volume it would have sent uh, if they had let it had its way. Not only are the crooks able to send millions or even billions of emails in a short period of time, they don't even have to pay for the bandwidth, do they? No, and I think, I think that's a really important thing to understand about something like this iTunes fish. You know, if they have the email addresses or if they can guess the email addresses, um, it's absolutely no skin off their nose at all. The, the, the economics work entirely in favour of sending in as many as you can. You're talking about a home computer on an ADSL line. When you recruit a botnet, sure, some of the computers are going to be home computers, but some of them are going to be servers with much more power uh, and much more bandwidth at their disposal as well. And I guess the other thing as well about that research was that that's 5 million spam on a home computer without the owner knowing. Your home computer can do that for the spammer without alerting you. And I guess the flip side of that, getting somebody else to pay your business costs, is that in this iTunes fish example that we wrote up, the website that actually acted as the host of the fake login page, that was hosted on a small biz site uh, out of Cambodia. So you can imagine someone sets up a website like that. They don't imagine that it could be much of a vehicle for cyber crooks. It's just a static website with a few static pages. How exciting could that possibly be to crooks who are probably looking for PHP and all sorts of server backend engines and databases for running their phishing campaigns? Even a simple website these days, even a simple website is going to be sat on top of an enormous stack of quite sophisticated software, even if it's not used. If you use, if you use a default Linux install, um, the chances are you're going to get PHP and you'll have to turn it off if you don't want it. And I, so I think there's a, you know, there's a, there's a side lesson there for, for people who are running servers and websites that, you know, if you don't need it, don't run it. It's that simple. Well, that was phishing, which seemed like it was targeted. And it just relied on the fact that by sending enough spams, 
there would be a sufficient proportion of people who were iTunes users. In other news, something which was apparently a bit more targeted was a story that came out of the German Federal Office for Information Security, who recently published their annual report. And they have a fascinating story in there, admittedly very short, and there's not a lot of detail, about a steelworks in Germany where a blast furnace was supposedly destroyed by some kind of combination of malware and hackers. I've heard of a a few reports of people gaining unauthorized access to things like power stations and so on, but I, I couldn't vouch for the source on those. It's certainly not something that's very common at all, and not something that we hear about very much. Uh, We have to assume that people who run industrial facilities are as reluctant to report uh, as people who run uh, other kinds of businesses. It's interesting that uh, SCADA, this, I forget what it stands for now, but uh, SCADA, these uh, industrial control systems that are connected to the internet, uh, was a big story uh, a year and a half ago. But we haven't really had that big glut of breaches that we've seen for uh, retailers or firms who are online Uh, and it's very much been taken over this year by concern about the internet of things which is actually really the same thing it's just smaller stuff. SCADA by the way stands for supervisory control and data acquisition which is probably why everybody calls it SCADA but you're right this whole internet of things which is really just small computers connected to the internet as far as I can see brings the same sort of risks on a tiny scale doesn't it? Okay, there's less at stake if a hacker can get into your house and do something funny to your super fancy light bulbs. Given enough light bulbs that you can control automatically in the same way due to poor security uh, could still have a very deleterious result. So you're right, when I hear SCADA or when I hear Internet of Things, I kind of wonder why we need to treat all of this separately. We're talking about computers that are interconnected in a way that could, if you are incautious, give the wrong guys access. It's all part of the standard computer security story, isn't it? I think it is. And on the subject of the Internet of Things, it's the the seeming repetition of the same mistakes that we've made before that's most striking about it. You know, if you look at the early days of the web and this great gold rush uh, as people go and stake out their their space on the web and, and start creating computer programs to run on the web and security comes along sometime later as something of an afterthought and then we saw the same thing repeated with mobile phone apps the app stores fill up very very quickly and then people start poking around and looking for holes in these things and, and um, you know security comes along sometime later and now with the internet of things we seem to be going through that same cycle again why, why aren't we doing those very same security best practices that we figured out we should be doing on the phone apps and that we figured out we should be doing on the websites uh, 10 years before that. I couldn't agree with you more, Mark. I, I guess part of it is this idea that we're sort of stuck with that, hey, if you want to innovate, you've got to do the fancy, glitzy, colour-changing light bulbs first and then worry about, about how you stop somebody changing those colours when they're not supposed to. Uh, you worry about that later once you've got the early adopters excited in the technology. And I think that's the wrong way around. They should come together. A colour-changing light bulb is fantastic. A secure colour-changing light bulb, that would be innovation in my book. You're, you're absolutely right as well. And of course, it's much harder to add security in later. 
all of the early internet protocols as a, as a great example of that. Yeah, we're still living now with a, an email system which is fundamentally insecure. Yes, it's nice that the S in SMTP stands for simple, uh, but it does make you think that actually they were in a bit of a hurry and they thought, well, we'll, we'll do the sophisticated one later. We'll just get this one going. I guess that's the problem with momentum and inertia, isn't it? Once things get going, then they kind of keep on going. Ask any spaceman. I like to I like to imagine the early internet pioneers, brilliant people all coming up with these amazing things that we would all come to rely on uh, and use in ways that they had never intended as living in some sort of idyllic lab utopia, you know, where they were inventing things like FTP and Telnet and DNS and HTTP, all these things that send all their messages around over the wires in entirely unencrypted forms because everybody's trustworthy. Everybody on my network is trustworthy. And then Eventually, these things break out into the outside world where real nasty, villainous people exist, or even just, you know, curious and disruptive people exist. Mark, speaking of curious and disruptive people, leads us to a story that in many places you'll read about as a giant hack that happened on Christmas Day. You wrote about it, uh, and that's Lizard Squad. Tell us what happened there. So uh, Lizard Squad took it upon themselves to ruin Christmas for potentially tens of millions of people by performing a denial of service attack against Sony and Microsoft on Christmas Day uh, in an effort that was clearly timed to coincide with people receiving their PlayStation and Xbox consoles as Christmas presents. And, and I think it's really important. What, what I want to get across about this story is that this isn't a hack in the sense that we normally use the word hack to refer to some sort of breach or unauthorized entry. Lizard Squad didn't gain entry to any Microsoft data or any Sony data. They didn't breach any Microsoft systems or any Sony systems. They weren't picking the lock. They were barricading the door from the outside. They were simply flooding those systems with more data than, those, than they could handle. So loosely speaking, if you imagine there were 10 million people wanted to go online and watch a movie or register their device or download a game, nine and a half million of those people were actually the Lizard Squad clowns pretending they wanted to download something, but actually not being genuine customers in any way. Basically, yes. And my understanding is that the reason for doing this was that it was terribly funny. Interestingly enough, following following the events of Christmas Day, they some Lizard Squad members seem to have been on a bit of a, a, a PR exercise going around various news organisations talking about what they did. They've come up with two reasons for doing it. The first one is this fairly tired old excuse of raising awareness about poor security at Sony and Microsoft. But also the guy that we referenced in our article, this guy calling himself Ryan said that they did it to amuse themselves. And I think that's the truth. You know, we've heard this excuse about raising awareness before. The fact is, the people who are genuinely raising awareness or genuinely dealing with security problems don't operate in this way. This isn't what security looks like. This is vandalism. This is not funny. It is criminal. It should be criminal in the same way that, hey, look, I'm really clever. I can start a bushfire, one little old me, you know, and nobody can stop me. And uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is kids really 
don't try this at home. It isn't funny, and the consequences could be very serious. Yes, I, I suspect we're going to be hearing a lot more about Lizard Squad in 2015, in the same way as a few years ago we heard a great deal about Lulsec. Yes, and it did not end well for many of those guys, did it? No, if you, if you go to Naked Security and you search for Lulsec, you'll see a raft of articles about the various arrests that were made Yes, I did that search on your recommendation and I noticed that the older stories were all about, wow, another hack, another hack, another hack, more information disclosed, we're not quite sure who it is, and then it was, ooh, the cops are onto them, and then it was bust, bust, bust. So anonymity online, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on which way you look at it, only goes so far. And I guess what's curious about this as well is that they seem to be doing such a good job of giving up anonymity. Perhaps they're not thinking entirely clearly about the future. Yes, I thought that was a bit strange. I'm going to use a pseudonym, but here is my face. <laughs> oh, and I'm bragging to all my friends in the underground because I'm such a cool hacksaw dude. It's very 1989, isn't it? The sort of, you know, gang v gang hacking virus writing scene from the very early days. That's what it, that's what it reminded me of. Even though the stakes are a lot higher you probably wouldn't have got 10 years in prison in the 1980s for the sort of hacking that at least some of the Lulsec guys did. That's what the Stratfor hacker got. So, uh, yeah, don't play with fire, kids. It's going to end badly. But there's another set of victims here as well, which are the, the people who own and pay for the computers that Lizard Squad used to, to conduct the attack. You know, you don't overwhelm Sony or Microsoft um, and systems that are designed to talk to tens of millions of consoles the world over and coordinate huge online games without some serious infrastructure. And these guys, they didn't pay for that infrastructure. This is exactly what we were talking about earlier. In order to conduct this kind of attack, they're going to need access to other people's computers. And this idea that they're somehow helping with security by attacking Microsoft and Sony, whilst perpetuating the insecurity of probably thousands or tens of thousands of computers that they depend on to take, you know, to make this attack. I think, well, it's appalling and ridiculous all at the same time. Well, on that rather forthright note, Mark, I'd better wrap up Sophos Security Chat Chat 179. It's getting perilously close to New Year's Eve and indeed to 2015. Uh, by the way, if you don't hear the podcast until the new year that doesn't invalidate what you've heard unfortunately we don't get to start each year with a clean slate on security we have to live with all the woes of the past if you enjoyed this podcast there are plenty more at soundcloud.com slash security have a fantastic 2015 and until next time stay secure <laughs>